We are starting a series uh, this morning called Jesus on the Way. Now, what we like to do here at GCF, we have a conviction to preach the Bible. We believe this is God's Word. Uh, we want to be faithful to His Scripture. And sometimes we do that uh, expositorily, which means we go you know, passage by passage and we preach. And sometimes we do that topically because we think Jesus spoke topically, right? He walked by and saw some fig trees and he had a lesson, you know? And so we want to speak to those and we've been speaking some topical sermons, but we're going to jump back into the book of Mark, which we've been in now. We've been here a while, three years. We've been in Mark for three years because we teach a chapter, we take a break, we take a chapter. So we're jumping into Mark 10, okay? So three years, we've gone through nine chapters. There you go. But we're in Mark 10 today. By God's sovereignty, this is the word of the Lord for us. Amen? Amen. So, Jesus on the way tests and teachings. Tests and teachings. Mark chapter 10, we should have it up here for you. Verses 1 through 12. <clears throat> and he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. The crowds gathered to him. Let's just set context here. So in Mark chapter 9, Jesus and three of his disciples had gone up to the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus had transfigured before them. They described him whiter than anything they'd ever seen. The bleach could not make that white. He was that white. Moses was there. Elijah was there. And they were seeing the, the kingdom of heaven break in. And they were excited, and they came down, and then immediately off the mountain, they had the trial, right? The, the young man uh, was demon-possessed. His father had brought him, and they had that moment. But they were going along from, if you look, kind of look at Israel in, in a way like this, they were leaving the north of Israel, and they were going south. And many believe they had come into Samaria and had met resistance, and they told Jesus to go away. And so he went to the east of the Jordan to go south to get to Judah. That was a common way to get there. And so Jesus is coming in to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and the crowds gathered to him, and again, as, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her, sorry. Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote to them this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, God, what, therefore, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And the house, and in the house, the disciples ask him, and this is why it's so important that we don't just do gatherings like this, but that we gather in homes. We gather in small groups because what I can say here, we might need to flesh out, right, yes, yes. in an intimate setting. There's my plug. If you're not in a life group, find one. <laughs> and he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. That was a little bit more blunt, wasn't it? 
And she, if she divorces her husband, marries another, she commits adultery. <clears throat> Whew, remember the good times, y'all. All right? Here we go. Tests and teachings. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked. So you got to remember, Jesus is coming in to Jerusalem for the last time. This is the last time he'll venture into Jerusalem. Now, I don't think the enemy knew what Jesus was about to do because Scripture says if, if the enemy knew, he would have never sacrificed the Lamb of God. But he knew something was going to happen because he was coming into Jerusalem, the place of power. And so here is Jesus coming into his purpose and his destiny, his moment. And here's a lesson for us. When you are facing tests, remember, proximity breeds adversity. Remember this. Proximity breeds adversity. The closer you get to what God has for you, expect the intensity to increase. You could even say it that proximity breeds intensity. The closer to your breakthrough. I mean, how many times, I mean, I, I would exhaust our time to tell you the stories of even coming to Victory Weekend this weekend, the resistance to get here. Why? Because the enemy knew the closer you got to encounter Jesus, the closer you got to freedom, if he could keep you away, he would. Are you experiencing a test this morning? It could be because you're closer to your breakthrough than you've ever been. That could be the very confirmation. Corporately, this church is on the precipice of a significant breakthrough. Building hope, right Atlas? On the precipice of a significant breakthrough. ENC, the power of the Holy Spirit falling on college campuses and among young people is just the beginning of raindrops falling. Should we be surprised that tests are there? No. The tests will come. And that increase of adversity and intensity is just confirmation. Man, we are right there. That's why if, you'll, if you're a college football fan in here, there's a bend but don't break kind of defense where we'll give you 60 yards, but once you get in the red zone, as long as we can keep you out of the end zone, we've won. Why? Because the, 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 the field gets shorter and every yard counts. That's why my pirates are awesome in the red zone on fourth down. Stopping NC State, they're stopping UCF, they're stopping all, all kinds of folks. That's my shameless plug. <laughs> I won't even talk about the LSU game last night. I know. The Trizzlers, that's, that's a little close to home. I don't want him to do a breakaway and somebody get embarrassed. All right. Okay. <clears throat> the second thing we see, though, is when we face tests, remember the necessity of security. The necessity of security. Here, the Pharisees come. And they ask a single man about marriage. That's not right. 
You shouldn't do that. Here's Jesus. He's single without a wife. And they're coming up asking him about divorce. Can you imagine maybe what rose in his, if he had flesh, right, in the human side of Jesus? Why are you asking me this, right? If he was insecure, Remember in Matthew chapter 4, it says, if you are, in the temptation of Jesus, if you are the Son of God, turn this bread. Like if he didn't know who he was, he would have reacted in, in his human nature. And so in this moment, here comes the test. Will we be secure enough to see and respond from a place of security? Or will we react emotionally? This is an emotional topic. If we can get Jesus to misstep here, then we can react and get the whole crowd to react. He'll never get to Jerusalem. He'll never get to his purpose, his destiny. She'll never walk in. If we can stir her insecurity, she can't hear what God has to say in this moment. Whew, that's a test for us, amen? I've got insecurities. In the right moment, I can react in my flesh. But if we're going to face test well, we have to find our footing in our, in our adoption, in our sonship, in our daughtership in Christ so that we can handle the tests in front of us. What's interesting here is that Jesus is a single man and that singleness didn't disqualify him from ministry. He was complete in his singleness. Having a spouse didn't make him more holy. God didn't say, all right, son, I'm going to send you to the earth and you're going to be my representative, but you're going to need that spouse or you're not going to be complete. No. You in your singleness, if you're in a season of singleness this morning, are no less prepared or equipped to be used by God than someone who's married. And there's a lie that's saying there's something wrong with me or inept because here's the married folk coming to the single man for advice. And here's Jesus addressing them. But if he was insecure about that, man, he would have missed his moment. Now, we know Jesus wasn't insecure. So he handled it just fine, which brings me to my next point. When you face when you are facing tests, remember, examinations are for education. Now, we think it's the other way around. Educations are for examination, right? You get your exam because you're getting educated. But in this scenario and in life, examinations are for education. Jesus went through the test, and everyone around him got the teaching. Jesus went through the test, and we get the teaching. Jesus' examination is our education. What does that mean? Well, that means this. Tests aren't always about you. The, the question of divorce wasn't about Jesus. It was about them. It was probably about his disciples. And so what is he doing? Jesus' examination is our education. Parents, your kids are watching you take the test. I don't know what test that is. I get lots of tests, don't we, baby? <laughs> lots of tests. But see, our kids are watching us take the test, and they're learning from us. 
Will we prioritize Jesus in our home? Will we stand by our word? Will we paint a picture of character? When we fail, will we be honest and say we're wrong and begin to shift and make corrections? See, our test, my test, our test is their teaching. Our exam is their education. Married folk, your friends, those you're mentoring, they're watching you through the test of marriage, through difficult seasons. Your examination is their education. They're watching how you pursue your spouse. Right? They're watching your singles who are going to work and pursuing your career and giving your life for the glory of God. Your friends are watching your examination and it's their education. How will you handle this season? How will you handle this moment? They're watching. What about upperclassmen at ENC? You're, you're a senior. You're a junior. You're coming in to, you're looking at the goal line of your career, right? You're, you're walking out of education into the workforce. The underclassmen are watching. Will you prioritize the kingdom of God all the way to the end? Or I'm busy now and Jesus can take the back seat. Because your examination is their education. If she can do it, I can do it. If she can walk through relational conflict and not throw community away, maybe I should too. Because your examination is their education. What about my high school, middle schoolers? How are you dealing with the tests to drink and party and cheat and deal with the social media world? There's a lot of tests going on in there. See, because your examination is their education. You're walking through something, maybe as an older sibling, for your under, younger siblings to watch and learn how to do it. Maybe the, the examination you're going through isn't about you, it's about someone else. Because your examination is another's education. How we handle hardship, how, how you handle team dynamics, how you in, handle your schooling. When things don't go your way. It's an exam. It's to reveal the heart. It's to give us an education. And that moves us into not just the test, but the teaching. As was his custom, he taught them. And he used this moment Jesus is teaching because he's talking about the kingdom of God, a new era, something breaking into the earth to help us see that era, to see the kingdom of God in the way that he sees it, to define reality for us, not the way we define it, but the way he defines it. He wants us to align our minds and hearts into reality because that's where we flourish. Because the lie is unreality. It's the enemy saying something else is reality. And if you live according, according to a false reality, you will perish and those after you will. Exactly. See, the enemy can say, hey, if gravity, gravity's not real. 
Gravity's not real. Gravity's not real. Gravity's not real. And then you believe that unreality that gravity's not real, and then you begin to defy that reality, and then you get reality. Okay? In the same way, Jesus is teaching us, this is true, this is a lie. This is true, this is a lie. So that when we live according to reality, we flourish, we bring glory to God, and we enter into the goodness of God. Amen? Amen. So Jesus is teaching. He's teaching because we need teaching. He's teaching because we are prone to wonder. We are subject to deceit. Deceit means you believe something that you think to be true that's not true, and you don't know it. I don't know how many times, a handful of times in the New Testament, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. So we're teaching reality so that we won't be deceived. We teach the scripture because I don't know what's true all the time. I'm not perfect. I don't have perfect lens. I can't interpret every situation perfectly. So I run to the perfect one to interpret the scriptures. I'm not God. God is God. And I'm giving you what God says so that we can walk and flourish and do what Jesus has called us to do. And even I can miss that, and that's why we have community. That's why I have brothers like James and Beatty and Pastor Mike, elders to say, you're wrong. And I'll be like, you're right, I was wrong. That community, let's look at the scripture as our authority, and I'm not in authority over this word. This word is authority over me. And there's security there. Praise God for that. So, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Anytime you, you deal with a controversial topic like this, be like Jesus. What do you ask a question before you answer? Well, um, what does the law say? Let's get some clarifying questions. Jesus must have read that book, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I'm going to seek first to understand, and then I'm going to be understood. But I just got to know how you need to hear what I got to say first. And so he asked this question, what does the law say? What did Moses command you? And this is an interesting phrase here. What did Moses command you? Moses here, in the mind of a Jew, what he wasn't saying what did Moses teach about divorce? He's saying the law of Moses was the whole Torah. It was Genesis to Deuteronomy. There's a lot in there more than law. There's the creation account. There's the exodus. There's a narrative at play. And there's some laws in there, right? So what did Moses command you? What he was saying is, where in the law are you going to go? And they went right to divorce. They say, oh, we got we to pass. It says we uh, can get out with a certificate of divorce. Okay? And here's the test for us. Will we find the scripture that justifies our action and hold it up? Because that's what they were doing. But what did Jesus do? He said, well, let me, let's go to another part of the law. See, he didn't just pull something out of thin air. He goes, the law also says this, right? It wasn't so from the beginning because of your hardness of heart. 
So Jesus is looking at the whole of Scripture. And it's important for us not to take one Scripture. Because you, I could take this Scripture and abuse it. Because there's a fuller picture here. There's something Jesus doesn't say here that he said in a parallel passage in Matthew. There's something Paul builds on this, right? And so let's take a full picture of what the Scripture is saying, but let's look at the Scripture, and this is what Jesus is doing. And this is what Jesus does, does in this teaching. Number one, he said this, marriage is God-designed and God-defined. That's what he said. Marriage is God-designed and God-defined. De From the beginning, this is what it was. When we read a piece of, of literature, when we see an invention, we go to its creator, we go to its author to say, hey, what did you intend here? Now, I can't take my meaning and go into a famous author and say, this is what she meant. Well, let's go ask her what she meant. Because what she meant presupposes what I want it to mean. And so that's what Jesus is doing. So here from the beginning. Okay, this is what, how God designed and divine, uh, defines marriage. He says, marriage isn't a certificate to prove love. And that we've heard that. I don't need a certificate to prove my love for you, baby. Marriage isn't a certificate. It's a covenant promising future love. What do I mean by that? Marriage isn't a, a certificate proving my love. It's a covenant promising future love. First of all, when you get married, you don't love your spouse. You love your idea of what you think your spouse is. Anybody married knows what I'm talking about. You don't love your spouse. You've created an image. Who he is. Who she is. And you're in love with that. And then, might take a day. If they're real good, it might take a year or two. But eventually, he's going to show his true colors. And you're going to say, oh, that ain't, you're not who I married. Yes, he was. You were blinded by the light. And so what a covenant with marriage is. I'm going to love you when I find out who you really are. And when I do, I'm going to still love you. It's the promise of future love. Now, if I know that my spouse has promised future love, we can get to who I really am a lot quicker. Maybe not too quick, but quicker. Right. I remember a professor said, I've married, what did he say? I've been married to seven different women. They all have the same name. Because you change. We evolve. I am not who I am today, who I was when we got married. Praise God. Praise God. I thought I told I was going to give her the mic this morning, but I don't know. Come on. I am not who I was. She's not who she was. Praise God. But marriage is a covenant of future love. I'm going to love you no matter what you end up being. It's a covenant. Marriage isn't an institution defined by the state. It's a covenant orchestrated by God. Now listen. 
What God has joined together. Now, do you hear that? What God has joined together. Marriage is the presence of God in a union putting two together. Do you hear that? He's not saying you decided to marry him and he decided to marry her. He's saying when you covenanted, I decided you're one. Now, is a certificate in the state? Yes, the government, contrary to popular opinion, the government and the church should work together for our good. And so when it does, praise God. Now, there are times when it doesn't. But it's not defined by the state. The state doesn't define what marriage is. God does. It's a covenant. Next, we see that marriage isn't a contract between two people for mutual benefit, right? All right it seems good to me to reduce rent, and you're beautiful, and therefore, let's move in together and get married. But then eventually... This is not going to work out. You smell. I didn't realize how dirty you were. And now, it's, this isn't working for me. It's not mutually beneficial anymore. And for anyone who's been married, it won't be. And so there comes a moment where it's not mutual beneficial. But that's not how God designed marriage. God designed marriage as a covenant before God for mutual sanctification. So God takes two differences and he brings them together in one flesh union. Sex is involved. The consummation of the marriage. You're no longer two. You're one. And you walk together so that you cause each other to mature and grow. What if God created marriage not to make you happy, which is the common view, but to make you holy? And that's really why he designed it. Now, it will make you happy. And there will be a times of great elation. And there will be a times of great pain and sorrow and suffering. And that's how God designed it. In a broken world, that's what it will be. But it's designed so that you and I will grow up in the covenant of marriage. All right. We doing all right? Okay. Marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman and God until death. And this is controversial, but we need to hit this. Jesus is defining marriage for us as a man and a woman. And let, let's be careful here. What did I say? All right, man and a woman. This is what God... And, and, and so we need to look at what did Jesus teach about this? What did Jesus teach about this? Now, if there was ever a moment, and here's, here's a, a popular kind of narrative, is that God was moving man along to expand marriage. And so if that was the case, this is Jesus' moment. This is Jesus' moment to kind of give a door in to say it could be something else than what you thought it was. But he doesn't do it. In fact, he goes all the way back 
to creation. And he didn't even have to say this. It's almost like, why are we talking about this? We're talking about divorce. And this is what he said. We're talking about divorce, Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He goes, it wasn't so in the beginning. God created male and female. In that context, there's light and darkness. He's creating differences. He's land and sea. There's birds and there's fish. There's these very intentional ways to create difference. And that's what the narrative, creation narrative is doing. There's differences. And God brings the differences into a covenant union, male and female. Okay? Jesus defines that. And he does it very intentionally. When, and let me, let me help you, he is not afraid to make people upset right here. It's not like he's like, well, you know, Jesus didn't want to stir the apple cart. Are you kidding me? In, the, in this moment, it was lawful for a Jew to divorce his wife if she cooked a bad meal. Or he found a better looking woman. It was lawful. No fault divorce. And what, you think Jesus is afraid to stir some things up? And I'm going to get to this, but when, when the disciples hear Jesus teach this, this is what I love. We think the disciples are so holy, right? They were so holy. Man, they were like, yeah, tell them about marriage, Jesus. This is what the disciples do in Matthew chapter 19. This parallel passage, Matthew tells us the truth. He was there, and he goes, look. They, they get in with Jesus. They go, what? We can't even get married now. That's literally what they say. It's better not to marry. We can't get divorced. Are you kidding me? This is what they say. Literally, you go look at it. Mark chapter 9, verse 10. 19, Matthew 19, 10. This is what they say. It's just better not to do it. If we don't have a way out, just don't do it. That's literally what they say. So it's not like he's afraid to offend them. He even completely raises women up because they're like, can a man divorce his wife? Right? This is a patriarchal society. And men, can they get rid of their wives? And this is what Jesus says. Oh, and women, but they divorce their husbands. He elevates them. He's not afraid to stir the cart. He moves us back to this. And he says, it's man and woman. It's man and woman. That's how I designed it. Now, that's a hard thing. If your experience is not... The normal, the normal experience. That's a hard thing. And so I'm not... The church needs to be a place where people who don't have a normal experience have full measure of the grace of Almighty God to be their whole self in their vulnerability be honest about their, what they're walking through, what they're experiencing, and have room to do that. Okay, but we can't push the teaching and the truth of the gospel along the way. So this is amazing because Jesus gives great grace here. All the people who are broken and don't fit into the mold find their way to be near Jesus and be around him. So however he handled it, it must have been so gracious and so loving that they felt completely that no matter what our struggle is, and we all have deep struggles, all of us, we all find grace around Jesus. And don't feel like, I can't belong here. In fact, 
Only the religious people felt like, I don't belong here. Only the people that were mean and bitter and angry and pointing their finger. Those were the ones like, we can't hang out with all these sinners. And all the sinners were like, yeah, man, this is Jesus. Like, I don't know, something's cool happening. I haven't figured it out, but he's awesome. And there was room to be near Christ. All right. Malachi 2, 14 and 15. But you say, what does he not? Why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. There's that word. Did he not make them one? God made them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union. They're one. God sees you not as two anymore, but as one. Because he put you together. Marriage isn't just about you and your family. It's about the witness to the world. I'll say that again. Marriage isn't just about you and your family. It's a witness to the world. What is the marriage covenant at its core? It's a picture of Christ and the church. It's a picture of Jesus laying down his life to woo and sanctify his, his wife. Okay? It's a profound mystery. And so when we walk in covenant relationship by the grace of God, we're not just surviving. We are giving a picture of what Christ is doing in that moment for all of humanity. Because when you come to Jesus, he covenants to you and he will never leave you. So our marriage covenants are a witness to the world that even when she is faithless, and she's faithless a lot, aren't we? He said, I'll marry you to the end. And that's, that's the gospel. No matter what you've done, Jesus will covenant to you. He'll buy you off the auction block, Hosea says. When no one else wanted you, he wanted you. That's the, that's the picture of Christ. That's what marriage is. Finally, this is maybe the most powerful here. Jesus reverses the power of sin in the human heart and equips us to do the impossible. I've already said this, but when the disciples hear this teaching, they're like, it's better not to get married, y'all. Look, don't get married. Stop, right? Don't do it. It's too hard. The married ones were like, they were looking at John. They were like, it ain't worth it, brother. Don't do it. If such is the case in a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. That's what they say. Matthew 19.10. What is Jesus saying? Jesus reverses the power of sin in the human heart and equips us to do the impossible. What are they saying? Can we get divorced? Jesus said, it wasn't so from the beginning, but Moses allowed you in a season to offer a certificate of divorce. Why? Because of your hardness of heart. What happened? God created marriage in the covenant in the garden as a picture Christ in the church, God's union with us, and sin broke in. And sin so dramatically changed us. It so, so dramatically altered the heart of humanity that God had to put up laws to restrain our evil. And so the law was given. And the law was given to keep us from destroying ourselves too quickly. 
Even the certificate of divorce at that time was meant to protect women. And here's why. Because a man could send her wife off, his wife off, and then kind of say, no, she's mine. And then go marry someone else. And, and Moses said, no, you can't do that. You've got to sever the tie. You've got to release her. You've got to give her a certificate so that she can at least be taken care of by someone else. And so the law was meant to restrain evil and to take care of us for a season. For a season. This is what's so powerful about this passage. What Jesus is doing in the gospel through, through the death and resurrection of the Son of God is that he now equips us to do what we couldn't do before he came. Y'all catching this? All right. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I said, don't even look at a woman lustfully. Are you kidding, Jesus? Really? Yes, because what I'm doing in you is so powerful, I'm raising the bar of the, the Christian ethic. You've heard it said, don't murder. But I say, don't even hate a man. What? So God didn't use his grace... God's not using his grace to then say, man, his grace, more, you know, let's more divorce. No, he's saying, because of the power of the gospel, because your hearts, hearts were hard, you were allowed for a season, but now in Christ, I've given you a new heart. I put a new spirit inside of you, and I've given you all the resources of heaven to walk out this impossible task called marriage by the grace of God, and you can do it. That's literally what he's saying. He's saying, look, you couldn't do it before, but now you can do it. What happened? What happened between then and now? Jesus' death and resurrection. We were sinners bent towards evil for our own good. And Jesus gives us a new heart. We've been born again. We're a new creature. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll remind you of the things that I've said. I will fill you with my spirit so that you can live a new way. I will give you the fruits of the spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I will tear down the law and raise up a new way so that fulfill the law better. I will fulfill the law because what I'm doing in you is greater than what sin did in you. What I'm doing is greater than what sin did. Do you see what he's saying? It was allowed. But now it's not allowed anymore because I'm doing something greater in you than sin did in you. And we have in the gospel the resources to walk out forgiveness because we've been forgiven. To deal with bitterness because Christ forgave you to suffer through offense because there's suffering involved. It hurts. Some of the most painful moments in my life are relational pain. And how can we suffer? Because Christ suffered with you and for you. And we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who suffered for me. And I want to cry out when I'm suffering. God's grace is so powerful. It changes the course of human history. 
and, and reinstates God's original design for marriage and raises the bar. All right. That's the teaching. Now, but if I was going to teach on lying, and you've lied, most anybody in here don't know, right? Or if I taught on sexual immorality, and you've been sexually immoral, most people don't know. But divorce has in it this hidden shame, because everybody knows. And so Jesus, and for those who are in Christ Jesus, no condemnation. That if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you and purify you from all unrighteousness. You shouldn't feel condemned or guilt and shame because Jesus hung naked on a cross, shamefully guilty, so that you could walk a new way. So wherever you are today, apply the word. Apply the word. There's grace in the gospel to meet you right where you are. If you're a husband and wife in here and you're contemplating divorce, there's resources in the gospel to help you. There's resources in community to walk you out of that or through it. The New Testament gives us some caveats. It gives us some loopholes, if you will, if your spouse has been unfaithful to you. Jesus said, you can get out. He doesn't say you have to, though. Because if you can work it out, it's a greater testimony to God's faithfulness to you. But sometimes it can't be. And Jesus says, I understand. 1 Corinthians 7 shows us that if you get saved and your spouse doesn't want to get saved, doesn't want to get right with God, and therefore sends you away, you're released. You're released. But if they say, I want you to say, I, I don't agree with your God, but I want to stay married to you, Paul says, you need to stay married. Because there's enough of the grace of God in you to make it work. And then there's this question of abuse. And I want to be careful here because if you are dealing with physical abuse, you need to get out of the house and find somewhere safe and find the community that will protect you and stand with you. And then work that out in the appropriate way. And that's a sticky one, isn't it? And so I would encourage you to get some brothers and sisters in Christ, your pastor, if you're not a member here, to help you walk out that. What makes sense? But I, I will in no way minimize what Jesus is saying here because I'm a man. You won't face me. But you and I will face Jesus and give an account. Amen? Well, that was hard. But it's the truth. And it would be more painful and I would be culpable if I didn't preach the truth of the gospel. In, in all my fear of the Lord, I think I've done the scripture justice. And if I haven't, you can challenge me. I'm okay with that. I don't stand alone. Okay? Nothing to add? James? Thumbs up from my elders. I still got my job.
Okay, good. All right, everybody stand up. Pastor Mike, anything? All right. <clears throat> if what I spoke this morning was really hard for you to hear because of decisions you've made, I want to pray for you because here's the beauty of this. There is an immeasurable fountain of the goodness of God that flows from the presence of the Lord when we come to Him and we ask for mercy and grace. Amen? So just right where you are, if you just want to cup your hands close to your body, just you and the Lord, I want to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we are sinners in need of a Savior, and you have graciously given us everything that we need in Christ. And there is forgiveness, and there is healing at the ground of the cross because you're good and you're faithful. And you've made provision for all of our sin. Every sin. Near one he can't forgive. Just receive his forgiveness this morning. For those of us who maybe are single and we're going through a season of single, I want to pray for you. Lord, I pray that those who are walking through a season of singleness would not be insecure about where they are, that they are not incomplete, that they are not insufficient, and they are not disqualified for what you have for them. Lord, that they would feel the comfort and the courage of God on them. Give them rooted security in you. Lord, for those in this room who are married, we got to walk this thing out. Lord, we need your help. Thank you that everything that we need is available in you. There's nothing that we can't find in you that we need. Lord, if we're going through a tough season in our marriage, Lord, that you would strengthen us, that we would have the humility to be honest to those around us, that we need help. that you would meet us right there. You redeem all things. It's your heart. You're amazing at taking what's broken and making it beautiful. It's actually your best strength. Help us, Lord. We need your help. Help us as we are walking together in covenant relationship, Lord, and help us be a witness to the world of the goodness and the majesty of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you need prayer this morning, if you need prayer this morning, we're going to leave the altar open. Our ministers will be up here. If you have a question or comment, I'm here. I'm here to walk with you. You guys have an amazing week. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week. Amen. Jesus on the way.